ladies and gentlemen, Ghost Nobody here, ready to bring you Chapter 7 of Hunter Hunted Hybrid Wars. My third in the series of the Clan Mason Parables. And as always, I do hope you'll like, share and subscribe to this wherever you can. And if you can leave feedback via places like fanfiction.net, archiveofrone.org, or even at my own website, ghostnobody.com. All your work and uh, comments are always welcome, and I always appreciate them. And as always, if you do pop over to ghostnobody.com, check out Storm Rider while you're there. You might enjoy it. You know, if big surly dragon-esque girls, demons, orcs, elves and magic are your kind of thing, I'm pretty sure it'll be right up your street. And also while you're there, pop over to the ghostly link section. Check out Mortis. Pick yourself up a copy from either Smashwords or from uh, Amazon.com. Help keep supporting me. Keep me doing what I love. Bringing unlikely alien romance stories to you good people. So, without any further ado, let's get on with the show, shall we? Oh, but first the usual legal disclaimer. I don't own AVP or anything to do with it. That's all the thing of its respective uh, studios. I just keep the Huntresses happy. Let's get on with the show. Chapter 7. Cultural Exchange Liam stood staring at the expectant smiling Serpentise woman whose tongue was flicking at him rather rapidly. He thought he must have misheard her. Wait, you want me to strip? Like, naked? He exclaimed and her smile widened and she nodded. Well, yes. It's only fair, don't you think? You saw me naked, and accidentally or not, I do believe it's only fair reparation would be for me to get the very same consideration from you. If you are worried that I will embarrass you in front of your peers, or them reprimanding you for unprofessional conduct, don't be. I will not mention a word of this to anyone, as it is not my wish to embarrass you or to get you into trouble, only to be fairly compensated, as I would be on my own world. And you assured me that your people do believe in honour and fairness, so I would expect this of you. She said, her voice sounding silky and soft the entire time. Liam swallowed hard. He felt very uncomfortable about this. Granted, technically it was true that yes, he had seen her naked. But it wasn't his fault. Technically it was hers for yanking him off his feet and pulling him into the room. But as a seeker and more so a soul knight, which was the unit of Jack Mason himself, and that he was second in command of, he prided himself on being a paragon of honour. And as much as it right at this moment it felt like a stance was biting him in the arse, he couldn't help but feel that she was right. All right, fine. Let it be, never let it be said that Seeker Liam Silver Mason doesn't honour the laws of other cultures, he said, feeling those butterflies going apeshit in his stomach again. Part of him was actually kind of excited about this. He knew that he really didn't have anything to be ashamed of body-wise, as he took the physical part of the seeker physical requirement very seriously, and he was very good at long-distance running and endurance training. He wasn't the biggest, especially compared to the, the Bijuta companions, but he could just outdo just about every single one of them when it came to stamina. In fact, there were only three people who could actually outdo him. Jack Mason himself, Tick Elleth Mason... And Ryan. So Liam was utterly solid and chiselled. He was proud of his body, and rightly so. 
In keeping with Yajuta traditions, he kept the scars he'd earned in training and hunting as well. But he was of mixed opinion about being compelled to show it off part. It just didn't sit right with him. Especially as if he knew that if the shoe was on the other foot, so to speak, given that she had no feet, he'd have never asked her to do this. But he very much did not want to be the reason behind her becoming offended by his refusal to respect her customs, or refusing to make reparations for his slight on her person. After all, was it all that truly unreasonable of a request to see someone naked who has seen you naked? Because, as she had said, she wasn't demanding this as she knew she couldn't. She was just requesting it. Liam actually felt himself trembling and his hands shaking as he unbuttoned his uniform collar and unzipped it, which was a one-piece overall, the top of the undershirt and boxes. Zila, as soon as she realised that he was complying with her request, slithered closer and watched him intently as he pulled the overalls down to his waist. Is it okay if I leave my boots on and simply pull it down rather than take it completely off? It is a major pain in the ass to take off and put those boots on again. Liam asked in a soft voice that made him feel even more embarrassed as he heard it. How the hell had she managed to rob him of his confidence so easily? He was a fully trained seeker who had fought against Tick Elith and won. He had hunted some of the most dangerous predators on the planet alongside both Tick Elith herself and Jack Mason. He had been made the second in command of the Soul Knights. And somehow this made him nervous. He tried in vain to quell his shaking hands. What are boots? she asked curiously. These things on my feet, Liam said, shaking her foot at her. She looked down at them and cocked her head curiously and then nodded. As much as I would like to argue that you saw every inch of me, I suppose I can see the vast majority of my tail section at all times, as I don't exactly have feet. So... That's acceptable, she said, smiling and flicking her tongue at him. Riam felt the trembling in his hands getting worse as he gripped the base of his undershirt and pulled it up over his head, revealing his bare chest. As he placed it down on the bed next to him, he felt his cheeks burning, which made it infinitely worse by the fact that Celia did that who will utterly invade your personal space thing that she or maybe all who will race seem to be good at loosely encircling him as she seemed to examine his whole upper body closely, with obvious fascination and interest burning in her bright golden eyes. Her tongue was going ninety to the dozen, and more than once he swore that it actually brushed right against his actual skin, but it was so light he couldn't tell if it actually made contact or simply disturbed the air so close that it felt like it. So you do have hair on your body as well? I did wonder she said in a curious voice. Um, yeah, my kind evolved from primates, a form of mammalian species on a distant original homeworld of my species, Liam said. Is it to keep you warm? Does it serve any purpose? She asked curiously. Originally it would have, and it was originally a lot thicker too, covering our entire bodies, but given that my species obviously wear clothes now, we evolved to compensate for that and to prevent overheating in hotter climates. So it thinned right out. And now it's more vestigial and redundant than anything. Liam explained, oddly fascinated at her fascination. 
but then he remembered she'd never actually seen an evolved mammal before, so this was actually all new to her. Liam began to take deep breaths as he prepared to fully expose himself to her. It was the first time other than medicals with the battle angels that any female would have seen him in all of his naked glory. Naked, vulnerable and exposed all at once. He saw her golden eyes fix on him and her gaze was incredibly intense. Her head actually began to sway side to side almost hypnotically as her eyes roamed down his naked torso. Liam was kind of somewhat hairy. His chest was covered in a matte dark mat of dark curly hair that formed a T-shape across his pectorals and chest, running right down his stomach to his groin. Celia's tongue was going crazy, flicking in and out of her mouth almost constantly now, looking like a small thin version of one of those blow-whistle things that extended on a long coil of coloured plastic when you blew into them. A sudden loud shrilling noise made them both jump a mile, and Liam realised that his communicator was beeping. I better get this, he said, grabbing at the small round device in his pocket. Sela looked annoyed at the interruption. Liam fumbled the device out of his pocket and pressed the answer button. Seeker Silver here, go ahead, he said quickly. Liam, do you still have the ambassador with you? Tickerleth's voice came through the small device with such clarity you could have sworn she was standing right next to them. Uh, yes, Grand Matriarch, we're in her quarters. I was just preparing to take her on a further tour of the ship. Liam said, trying to cover the nerves in his voice, and most likely failing. There were very few people on this ship who could pull the wool over the ticker, eyes of Tick Elf Mason. She never missed a trick. Excellent. Report to the bridge immediately. We have two things that need her attention. Please do not delay, Tick said. Roger that, Grand Matriarch. We'll be there immediately, Liam said, blowing out a huge sigh of breath. It looked like fate had saved him. Good. Take Alice out. She replied and closed the column down and immediately Liam grabbed his shirt and pulled it back on, making Sela's eyes go wide and rather angry, or maybe frustrated. He hadn't quite learned their facial expressions fully yet. Sorry, Ambassador, we'll have to do this another time. It really does not pay to keep Grand Matriarch waiting. Liam said, feeling thankful to Pyre or the great tree or whatever the hell else had been looking over his shoulder that day and thrown him a lifeline. Sela suddenly looked disappointed, but then her face cracked into a smile. Very well, Seeker Liam. I believe you to be a male of honour who would not give his word lightly, so I will accept your word to me that you will honour this debt when an opportunity presents itself to us in the future. So, do you give it? She said, and Liam's heart froze. He'd just shot himself in the foot, hadn't he? Trapped by his own code of honour. I do, Sela. I give you my word, he said, sounding as forlorn as he felt. And she drew herself up and nodded, obviously pleased to have won this prize from him. Good, and I will hold you to it. Now, you can count on that. Come, you'd better smarten yourself up. It would not do to present yourself to your superiors in such a disheveled state. Well, they may suspect we've been up to no good, she said with an almost playful-sounding note in her voice, as she smiled at him, flicking her tongue at him as she did. Liam redressed and straightened his uniform up and fixed his hair, for opening the door and gesturing for the ambassador to join him. She slithered out first as he held the door open, 
and the bear began to head down the corridor heading for the bridge. We really couldn't get a true read on this confusing woman. Maybe it was their species or maybe it was just her. On one hand she was curious and fascinating, a highly intelligent person. On the other, she seemed to have a rather domineering and aggressive side, which was both a bit scary and somewhat kind of attractive. The why he would find that attractive, he really didn't understand. Maybe it had something to do with hanging about with the Azuda girls all day. And it was something that all of them seemed to have. They were not scared to go after what they wanted, hunted down and to catch their prey no matter what. He noticed that Sela seemed to keep glancing at him as they went moving through the ship. Something wrong, Ambassador? he asked. Oh, it's just you haven't said a word since we left the room. I was just wondering if something was wrong, she asked softly. There was that observant streak again. Liam decided to brush it off as he didn't want to upset or further offend her. No, I'm fine, just thinking is all, he said and she nodded. Anything you care to share? she asked. Honestly, he was worried about the time she was going to pull this marker in that he now seemed to owe her, and he actually, how he actually felt about it. But he didn't want to, her to know that. Though he found himself wondering if it actually because he didn't want her to feel bad about it, which he thought was kind of odd, but there it was. Oh, just about what my Grand Matriarch is calling us about, and what happened on that ship. I didn't get a chance to perform a soul summoning, so we were left with a mystery here. And my kind really both hate and love mysteries in equal measure. We hate having them and love solving them. Granted, on one hand, they were kidnappers and slavers, so I know this sounds bad, but honestly, those don't mind those types of people getting a dose of karma and getting killed. But to die like that? That just doesn't sit well with me, Liam said, falling into the train of thought that you've been bugging him since the ship. So a lie in essence, but as that wasn't exactly what was at the forefront of his mind right now, but also not quite a lie, as it was the truth of what had been in the back of his mind. She nodded thoughtfully and then seemed to freeze. What is a soul summoning? she asked. It allows soul night dream warriors like myself to speak to the dead. It's easy to do when the dead are recent, as death was always a tra- especially if the death was traumatic create a massive psychic imprint which we can use to pull the souls of the lingering dead to, that surround the area to us. Liam explained and Sela looked at him wide-eyed and awestruck. You truly have that kind of power? She exclaimed and she snapped around in front of him with wide eyes and her tongue going as if she was trying to taste his power. Um, yeah. Soul Knights specialise in the spiritual world which means our connection to the spirit realms, or afterlife as it's called, is much stronger than any other type of dream warrior. They call us God-touched because deities tend to seek us out because of our connections to their realms. Same is true of lost or wandering spirits and souls. They seek out soul night in order to just speak through us, or so we can help them because they're lost and lonely and they want our help moving on, Liam said, explaining. Seal looked completely amazed by this. It is utterly amazing to me that beings like you actually exist. And it makes me wonder if all the stories, myths and folk tales of the past of my people, 
if they actually had some truth to them now. Our scholars have been debating their accuracy and truth. Tale of people doing incredible things that seem to bridge on the realm of magic. But now I wonder if they were actually based off stories of possible dream warrior encounters among my own people, she said thoughtfully. It's quite possible. Granted, we've only encountered two other races, other than the three we already know of. And we haven't actually found any among the Xenos yet. But that doesn't mean to say that there aren't any. I simply believe we have more Yejuta and human dream warriors because most Xeno hives do not operate like the ones on our world. And they aren't exactly spacefaring either. So they may very well have dream warriors among their number, but they're just unknown to us. He said, and Sela looked thoughtful at this, nodded in agreement. When we reach my planet, I would very much like to introduce you to some of our most noteworthy scholars, two of which happen to be among my own pack. Both are published scholars in their field of study. The other is a member of my pack is a scientist who studies biology at the top university hospital in our city. I'm not sure exactly what it is she studies. I'm not a scientist or a doctor. But I do know she's incredibly smart. All of her, four of us answer directly to the leaders of our territory. My expertise is in politics and diplomatic studies. Hence why I was made an ambassador to represent our people in negotiations with other races, like the Raptorians. She said, sounding very proud of her pack family's accomplishments and status within their social strata. Though Liam did wonder whether she was telling this because she was proud of her pack and that she felt the need to share their accomplishments. Or maybe she was trying to impress him. Or maybe a bit of both. Um, sure, I guess. I mean, obviously I don't know how our visit will go, and if I will be needed elsewhere. The Seekers might be in order, but we're still a military organisation. So we go where we're told. But if our Grand Patriarch does allow it, I'll be happy to meet with your pack. Liam said, making Seal smile and nod. Don't worry, I'll make sure it happens. I'm most excited to introduce you to my pack. I'm sure they will be as impressed by you as I am, she said with a kind of odd smile. They impressed the call button for the lift that would take them to the bridge, and as the doors opened, he gestured for Sela to enter first. She slithered in, and as he stepped in behind her, she loosely coiled her tail around him again, pretty much filling the lift, though Liam was pretty sure she could have simply coiled herself up in the corner but she seemed to prefer to spread herself out while at the same time utterly invading his space. Their species really seemed to have no concept of personal space, but given their size that wasn't all that surprising. The elevator moved quickly and as they reached the bridge, the doors whooshed open and Sela unwound herself from him and slithered out onto the bridge, followed by Liam where they found Jack and Tick waiting for them. Both of them seemed to be looking at him and Tick gave him a very odd kind of smile before they turned their attention to Sela. Ah, Ambassador, good to see you. I hope Seeker Silver has been taking good care of you, Tick said, and Sela smiled and nodded. Oh, yes, your people are most gracious and fascinating, Tick Elleth. Liam has been very accommodating, Sela said with a big warm smile, and Tick nodded. Good, I'm glad to see my Seekers are representing us well. I would expect nothing less from the second in command of the Soul Knights, Jack said. So, what did you call us for? Have you found something? 
Sully asked, and both Jack and Tick nodded. We're still analysing the data from the ship's logs that we were able to retrieve, but we've been going through the star chart and we actually think we may have located your homeworld. Jack said and Sula looked amazed. But I haven't even looked at the charts yet, so how could that be possible? She asked and Jack smiled. Well, the Dreamer is equipped with state-of-the-art sensors designed by our Xeno Hive on the homeworld. We call the hive mind because it's literally full of scientific and engineering geniuses. These Xenos are literally built a completely cybernetic camp from scratch and designed a process that allowed our battle angels to transplant said dying cat's brain and spinal cord into its body, along with all of its blood. And boom! Cyber Robocat. And they did that in just two days. So yeah, trust me, when I say these girls and guys eat, sleep, dream tech, I mean it. They designed this entire ship from bow to stern. These sensors are so sensitive, they can detect the movement of a grain of dust two light years away. So yeah, powerful. Well, to put a long story short, we've been detecting encrypted transmission from this, transmissions from this sector. And what, from what we've been able to decipher so far, it appears to be in the Serpentinus language. Jack said, bringing up a hollow map of the solar system. Sela looked at it and slithered around to see it from a different angle. She looked at the star system at a pulsing glowing ring around it, and she instantly nodded, looking highly impressed. Yes, this is my homeworld. This here is the Raptorian system. This here is the Draconis system, and this one the Scalathor, she said, drawing a box shape with her finger pointing to four different star systems in turn, before starting, starting with her own. Instantly, the Xeno navigator was sat at the console next to the hollow map instantly ringed all four systems and marked them with the name of their species. Okay, cruising speed, we can get there only a couple of jumps. Now that we know the frequencies your comm systems work on, we can lock on to any relay satellites you have out there to broadcast any messages you wish to send home to inform them of your status and... Tick began, but that's when the Yajuta at the comm station nearly jumped out of his seat and drew attention to all four of them. Grand Patriarch and Matriarch, forgive the interruption, but we're detecting a huge increase in the volume of comms traffic from the Serpentinus region. We can't read the majority of it because it's encrypted, but what we have managed to filter out is some they're talking about some kind of attack. He said, and instantly both Jack and Tick's faces went instantly business like. Put in a call to HQ. I want as many ships as we can spare, as long with as many guardians as we can spare, without compromising the defence. That's hunters, seekers, saviours and battle angels. Send them the coordinates and get them out there, Jack said, and the comms officer saluted and ran back to his station to begin transmitting. Helmsman Kinta set a course for the Serpentina's homeworld maximum speed and want to stay as fast as possible, Tick yelled, and the helmsman saluted before in the coursing with the help of the Xeno navigator, minimising the time it would take them to get there. Ambassador, your species currently involved in any wars or battles that we need to know about? Jack said, turning to the ambassador, and she shook her head, looking both pale and very distressed now. No, I swear to you, I have no idea what's happening. What did your comms officer hear? Do you know what type of attacks they were? Is anybody hurt? She asked in a series of rapid-fire questions in a panicked voice. 
Liam stepped forward and placed a hand on her shoulder. Using his gifts, he helped to calm her mind slightly. Just breathe, Slayer. We're going to help. It's the code of the Guardian Corps to assist any and all who need us, to protect the innocent, whoever and wherever they may be. We'll get to the bottom of this, and we'll do what we can. You have my word on it, he said, putting real emphasis on that last part as reference to their conversation earlier. And it worked. She started taking deep breaths and looking at him. She nodded. Thank you, Liam. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to get hysterical, she said quietly, and he squeezed her big, solid shoulder reassuringly. Don't sweat it, Celia. It's perfectly a reasonable reaction to finding out your people have just been attacked. But rest assured we'll do everything we can to help, he said, and she gave a weak smile. Both Tick and Jack nodded approvingly. Both of them stepped forward and also gripped her shoulders. Our seeker, Silver, speaks the truth, Ambassador. Don't worry, we'll get to the bottom of this and we'll do whatever we can to assist your people, Tick Ellis said. Response coming in from HQ, Grand Matriarch and Patriarch. They confirm the Corps is mobilising the fleet and they will join us as soon as possible, comms officer called out. Jack pressed the internal comms button. All stations, red alert. All personnel to battle stations. I want all seekers, hunted and battle angels in full battle gear and ready to go. This is not a drill. I repeat, this is not a drill. He said and instantly the whole ship was set into combat mode and everyone scrambled. Liam turned to leave and instantly Celia grabbed his shoulder. Where are you going? She exclaimed, her voice taking on that panicked note and he forgot he'd been calming her mind for her. I have to gear up in my armour and get my weapons ready. Ambassador, the Seekers are first and foremost special forces soldiers and I'll be needed at my station. He said and Celia looked very unsure and unhappy about this. It was obvious that as a guide she was taking reassurance from his presence. Tick placed a large hand on her shoulder. Do not worry, Ambassador. You can remain on the bridge here with us. Most likely we won't need to deploy our soldiers, but this is just a precaution. Seeker Liam, will, Seeker Liam will be back in a moment once he's ready, Tick said, and Sela nodded and followed her back across the bridge, taking a last glance at Liam as he stepped into the lift. In the armoury, hunters, seekers and saviours were scrambling, getting geared up. The battle angels had their own separate area. Annalise was there strapping on her armour and outfitting Zed with his. What's happening? she asked as soon as she saw Liam enter. Not sure exactly, but there seems to be some ongoing attack of some kind on the Serpentinus homeworld. We're going in hot to assist, Liam said, and he was aware of a few of the others around him listening in as he clipped his plasma casters into place and checked their gimbal settings. Oh great, two attacks in one day. Well, you've got to give the core this, it's never boring. Fly to unknown parts of space. Find spaceships full of skinned alien corpses. Meet huge alien snake girls. And pretty dragon boys. Escape exploding ships. And now we've got a planetary attacks as well. Just another day in the Guardian Corps, Annalise said with a grin. And she looked at Liam with a raised eyebrow. Why are you smiling at me like that? She asked. You called your new Dragoconis friend pretty. I never had you pegged as a Scaliana, he said, and she blushed bright crimson. Well, I, uh, um, well, you know, he's just so exotic and, well, pretty. He's just so innocent and sweet, 
He's amazed by absolutely everything. Plus, he's just shocked that he doesn't actually have to do anything for me. Keeps trying to fetch food for me or do chores. Seemed absolutely stunned when I told when I actually do things for him. He's been abused and treated so badly, Liam. The things he's been through and seen. No one, I mean no one, should ever be treated that way. No one should ever have to experience what he has. So to see the look in those pretty eyes of his when he sees something as simple and beautiful as a plant. Or the look of utter surprise and true joy when he has somebody hand him a plate of food. It's truly amazing and wonderful. Annalise said thoughtfully, and a little sadly, as she recounted some of the little what she'd learned about Kelmar so far. Poor guy was really at it rough, Liam said, and Annalise shook him a look. You lose your favourite sword and you have it rough. You have a, you have a loyal fire tiger pisses on the temple rugs for the third time, forcing you to have to scrub it for four hours to get the bloody smell out. You have it rough, she said, shooting a guilty look at, a look at guilty looking Zed. You stub your little toe on the corner of the bed, you got it rough. What that poor boy has been through, just because of what he is, is horrendous. He deserves to have something good in his life. Something to show him how to embrace his newfound freedom, Annalise said. And maybe embrace a certain tamer girl not so very far away while he's at it, huh? Liam said, teasingly making her flush again. She punched him in the shoulder, making him laugh. Hey, if we want to talk about embarrassing or embracing, how's the ambassador doing? She asked and Liam raised an eyebrow at her. They both finished clipping their weapons on and turned to head towards the bridge ready for deployment. As the second in command to their respective parts of the seeker, their place was at their commander's sides to be ready for what was to come. What made you think of her in relation to embracing? Liam asked and Annalise gave him a sly smile. Seriously? She's a snake girl. How can you not look at her and wonder what it's like to get hugged by her? I mean, all those coils. Damn, that's got to be a serious lot of hugging potential. She said, and Liam shot her a sly smile. Well, I wasn't before, but now I am. Hmm. Snake girl hugging powerless, helping a helpless human girl. Liam said thoughtfully, scratching part of his helmet where his chin was, making Annalise laugh and then punch his shoulder again. You're bloody terrible, you know that? He said, and he grinned at her. All right, all right, I'll let you replace Snake Girl with Dragon Boys for your own fantasy. God, he said, earning him yet another punch. God, you're awful violent, woman. I hope you're not like this with your cute, walking, talking Welsh dragon and tries to tell you his fantasies. Poor boy won't know what's hit him, Liam joked, but something of a scrawl crossed over Annalise's face. Don't even joke about that, Liam. I would never hurt him, ever. All that boy has ever known is pain, suffering, degradation, indignity, humiliation, and fear. Pure fear. I'm swearing this right before you and Pyre right now. While I am around, he will never suffer these things ever again. I will protect him. I will be his guardian, Annalise said, and Liam looked stunned. Whoa now, Annalise. I know you feel strongly about this, but are you sure you want to do this? You know as well as I do, our kind can't take back a promise to Pyre. 
She'll take it as an insult and forbid you your place in the eternal hunt. I mean, what if he doesn't even think of you like that? What if he's not attracted to you? Liam said, and Annalise shot him a look. I don't have to be attracted to someone to guard them, Liam. If he is not, then so be it. He's free to make every choice that guides his life now, and I will make sure he always is. We guard people every single day. That's why we're dream warriors. And what's more, we're guardians. And while I still draw breath, I swear before Pyre that he will be protected. Annalise said. Suddenly a silk, soft voice slithered through their minds, and undoubtedly every other seeker mind aboard. So be it, child. Promise made and accepted. I expect you to keep it. Every word. It said, and Liam shot her a look. Well, don't say I didn't warn you, he said, but Annalise just looked surprised and then f- at first and then determined. The elevator door opened onto the bridge and the pair stepped out and both Jack and Tick now, joined by Shenna, Seller Elith and Ryan, all dressed in their armour and armed to the teeth. Both Jack and Tick had their quarters accessible directly from the bridge, where their gear was stowed, so that while they'd slipped out, they got changed as well, with only one of them not wearing gold or blue armour, and armed to the teeth was Celia, who was looking at the readouts nervously. All right, so which one of you made a promise to Pyre? Jack said, glancing at them, and Liam side-pointed across his body at Annalise. Jack just nodded. Make sure you keep it, no matter what, he said, and she nodded. I will. I'll count on it. She said, and Ryan planted a large hand on her shoulder. I would expect nothing less from my second-in-command. Do me proud, kid, he said, giving her shoulder a squeeze. Celia seemed to notice the pair of seekers had now slithered over to them, and her face seemed to brighten up as she saw Liam. What will happen now? she asked. Well, that all depends on what we find when we get to your home world. We're pushing our engines as hard as we can, so our arrival shouldn't be long. But we're still a couple of hours out. But we're going to do whatever we can, no matter what, Jack said. All hands, man your battle stations. We're exiting hyperspace in one minute. I want every gun ready to fire and every fighter ready to launch. We're going to show whatever's on the other side of this jump why you don't pork with Clan Mason and the Guardian Corps. Tick boomed into the ship's comms. A voice booming through the whole vessel and the whole ship. The answering roar of pride echoed from every surface as they answered her call to arms and made the ship ready. The dreamer snapped out of hyperspace and instantly everything went crazy. The whole, view, the whole main view and the bridge window instantly a planet appeared on it. It was a mixture of lush greens and vast stretches of golden yellows. There were oceans of blue but they were far, far smaller than that of Earth or even Clan Mason's homeworld. Liam instantly found himself wondering if they had sea snake girls as well, which was seriously odd thought to pop into anyone's head right at that moment. Multiple contacts and picking up four orbital defence platforms, all heavily damaged and out of commissions. Multiple life signs on all, all serpentinous. Picking up multiple damaged vessels, all frigate class in size. Life signs are all serpentinous too. Lots of debris, including indicating multiple destroyed ships, picking up both Scalathor and Serpentinus bodies in the wreckage. Looks like Serpentinus took out at least six large ships before they got overwhelmed, the sensor operation, operator called. 
by the great tree. My, my home. I cannot believe the Scalathor would do this. Sure, they've saber-rattled before, but, but those are innocent civilians down there. Celia exclaimed in a stammering voice, looking at the scene of chaos and devastation outside in space. I'm picking up ground fighting. Looks like commando units are engaged with the Serpentinus in what appears to be the capital city, if my estimation is correct. They seem to be trying to converge on a very heavily defended area in the centre of the city, sensor operator called. The palace! They're going for the royal family! Please, you have to stop them! My pack is in there! Slayer almost screamed as the realisation hit her hard. Ambassador, please get a hold of yourself. Gonna need you to begin broadcasting to your people. The help is coming. And we don't know who... Ah, so that they don't come under attack from friendlies down there. Tell him your people the Guardian Corps is here to help, Jack said and motioned to the comms officer. He led the obviously shaken and deeply worried Serpentinus woman over to the comms system where she began broadcasting in her native language to try and establish communications with her people. Helmsman, let's drive these fuckers out of orbit from above the city. I want their retreat and reinforcements cut off. Gunners, blow those fucking ships out of the sky, please. Launch all fighters, we're going in. All seeker and hunter and battle angel teams to your drop pods. We're taking the express elevator down, Jack called into the ship comms. Immediately the dreamer's powerful forward battery of railguns started firing, sending huge tungsten slugs screaming towards the nearest of the two Scalathor heavy frigates. They were angled so the shot... The shots so that if they missed their targets, they would speed harmlessly out into space and not hit the planet, potentially devastating civilian populace below. The four huge forward front-facing cannons sent huge tungsten slugs screaming into space at incredible speed, and all four impacted on the shields of the Scalathorian frigate, sending huge blue electrical ripples right round it. It was now that both ships seemed to notice the super-heavy frigate bearing down on them and began to turn, return fire. Streaks of light tore towards them, both missing most, but one or two impacting on the dreamer's heavy shielding. Three hits, minimal damage. They appeared to be trying to use thermal weapons, some kind of high-intensity lasers, to try and overload our shields. Shields are recharging, the weapon officer yelled. Keep hitting them. Use the plasma cannons and fire torpedo tubes one through six, Tick yelled as the dreamer sped towards them. Suddenly, smaller ships in a series of formations streaked away from the dreamer as the fighters and their primarily Xeno pilots sped towards the targets. These ships were piloting were called Night Eagles, interplanetary fighters specifically designed for both space and atmospheric combat. Now, their weapons wouldn't do much to heavy shielding, or that of a frigate or cruiser. But the torpedo bombers that were mixed in amongst them most certainly would. Xenos ironically made excellent pilots. Their understanding over most multi-surface and multi-spatial orientation and dynamics due to the way they moved freely on all surfaces gave them an incredible advantage in spaceflight. Being able to adapt the rapidly shifting orientation of spaceflight and flighting Fighting gave them an insane advantage. The fact that they proved moments later when their 
their frigates sent out fighters of their own, and like a swarm of angry bees, the Guardian Corps pilots split up and hit them from every side all at once, clearing a large hole right through their bombers to fly right through and unleash their deadly payload, while the bigger and heavier torpedoes launched from the tubes aboard the Dreamer followed them right through the gap. Out of the six heavy torpedoes launched from the Dreamer, Three were destroyed by the anti-fighter and torpedo weaponry aboard the Scalathorian frigates, but three made it through, along with a great many of the smaller torpedoes from the torpedo bombers, which were currently on their way back to the ship to rearm. All teams report ready to drop. Hunter teams one through six are standing by. Seeker teams one and two are battle ready, and battle angel teams... One through six are all ready, Grand Patriarch and Matriarch, the comms officer reported while Sela was still trying to raise her people. Roger that, helmsman. Get us into position to drop, Tegala said. Suddenly the weapons officer yelled out, Shields on the Scalathorian frigate are overloading and they are failing, he yelled. Fire at will, Jack said coldly and the forward batteries opened up again this time scoring four direct hits and blowing out four huge holes right through the centre of the ship like it was made of paper mache. Secondary explosions detected. She's going critical, the gunner yelled, as just as another series of shots impacted on their shields from the second frigate. And then with a bright flash and a soundless bubble of pure fire, the frigate exploded into shrapnel, causing a cheer to go across the bridge. Grand Matriarch was still taking fire from the other frigate and reading 12 torpedoes en route to us, the weapon officer you called. Tell the fighters to take out what they can, ready, ready the anti-air weaponry, Tick yelled. You got this, my love, Jack said and Tick grinned at him. Go, my love. I'll catch up once these fuckers in the, are in the void being hunted by shadows, Tick snarled, stroking her husband's face with her mandibles. He nodded and kissed her deeply. Shenna, take Hunter 2. Hunter 1 will join me later, Tick said and Shenna saluted. Liam, Annalise, Ryan, Sella, you're with me. We're going down there, Jack said, and there were four crisp salutes. Liam, Liam, please wait, Slea called in a panicked voice and he turned from the elevator door to see the scared and angry looking Serpentinus woman. Please be careful down there. Find my pack. Please, Liam, protect them. She said desperately and Liam nodded. Don't you worry, Celia. We'll save your people. Just you watch, he said. And with that, the elevator door shut behind him. Seeker Team 1. You with me. Team 2 with Ryan. We're going to drop as close to the palace as we can. Hunter Teams 2 through 6 will drop in behind the enemy and hit them in the arse. Battle Angel Team 1, you're with Seekers Teams 1 and 2. Teams 2 through 6, drop in behind the Hunters and do what you can for any wounded civilians and Serpentita soldiers you find. Stay on comms and report any and all troop movement you see. Hopefully word is getting through the Serpentina's troops so that helps come in. Remember, the guys we're facing are commando teams, so they'll be highly motivated and trained. So do not underestimate them. Most likely their intention is to cut through and assassinate the Circuntinus leadership. We're going to make sure that doesn't happen. Alright people, let's move, Jack said and there was a loud roar of affirmation from everyone as they jumped into their drop pods and strapped in. 
Liam pulled his pod canopy shut. He almost preferred orbital diving to orbital dropping. These things were bloody awful. But boy, oh boy, did they get the job done. Not built for comfort, but fuck could they move. This is Seeker 1, comms check, all call signs, sign off. Jack's voice came through the internal headset. Now, because they were operating in different teams, their seekers, their call signs changed. Seeker 1-2, ready to drop, Liam said. Seeker 1-3, ready to drop, Rem, a female Yejuta and another Soul Knight said. All Seeker Team 1 agents were Soul Knights. Seeker 1-4, ready to drop, a Mav, male Yejuta said. Seeker 2-1, ready to drop, Ryan said. Seeker 2-2, Anne said, ready to drop, Annalise said from a specially adapted pod. Hers was the largest pod in the bay as it had Zedra strapped into the back like a fire tiger shaped backpack. Seeker 2 3, ready to drop, Rita, a human female, said. Seeker 2 4, ready to drop, Lavat, a male Juta, said. The sound off went through the hunters next, before finally reaching the battle angels, and their mechanical comms voice called in one at a time. They also had special pods. They carried teams of four rather than a single individual. Their pods also could be opened mid-flight to allow them to jump and glide to target if need be. This allowed for rapid deployment over a battlefield to split them up. This is Dreamer Command, all prep complete. Drop in five, four, three, two, one. Drop, drop, drop. Good hunting, people. Tick roared into the comms and with a sharp jolt Liam and the other pod shot out of the bottom of the Dreamer's special hangar bay began rocketing towards the planet's surface and the Guardian's course first official engagement on foreign soil as above them watched the Dreamer firing full broadside of railguns at the remaining Scalthorian frigate as the Guardian course flagship took its position over the planet this was not exactly how Liam had imagined his first contact going but all that was running through his head right now was he's determined to do the Guardian Corps proud and he was going to find and protect Celia's pack. She was counting on him after all and he was not going to let her down. Ah, so that was chapter 7, ladies and gentlemen, and the Guardian Corps are going to war. But will they be able to drive the Scalifor from the Serpentinus homeworld? Or will the battle be drawn out? Only going to be one way to find out the answer to those questions and so many more. Going to have to tune in next time. So until next time, this is Ghost Nobody signing off and saying, I'll see you all next time.